Hi, I'm George Tekbachev here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson for another Easton Target Archery podcast. I don't know why I just put my sunglasses on when we were starting. Yeah, and I, you, like, I, I realized those are polarized, right? No. Oh, okay. I was thinking if they were polarized, now suddenly you can't see your screen. I, yeah, I don't know why I put them on. Like, we're getting ready to do something. Well, I noticed you putting them on, and I just thought maybe you're just trying to work on getting a cooler image for the podcast, but it's a audio only podcast at the moment yeah it's just going to be what it's going to be in spite of popular demand you know for it to be a video podcast because for some unfathomable reason people want to see us doing the podcast which reminds me i'll take a picture of you when we you know we'll post that up on the thing for the podcast people can see the chaos that is your office oh no i cleaned it up last week and then it just happened again well it kind of creeps in (laughs) It's all cool. You got parts and clothing. And I like stuff visiting everywhere. your office every once in a while, though, because every once in a while I get to see something that's going to be coming out, and I'm like, "Oh, this makes me feel really enthusiastic about this particular." <laughs> like the, and it's already been announced now, but I got to see the battle worn bow oh, yeah. finish before yeah. it was announced, right? And I'm like, "Oh, that is going to sell," and I was right. I think they Pretty, sold out. I like, don't know, or or close to it. I mean, they just went. I don't think super it's. Uh, I don't think they've shut off the. The so they're still yet, making but, some more. Yeah. But I heard it was big, big, big. Very popular. popular. Big Very popularity. Popular. Big popular. Big, big popular. Yeah, we call that both the big popular. Now. The big popular. That's right. Well, you know what? We're at, uh, we're over 200 podcasts now. We got a congratulations from uh, whatever the podcast authority is out there, Apple or somebody, <laughs> for, for having over 200 podcasts now. This very, they obviously didn't listen to any of them. Clearly. Because if they had, they wouldn't be congratulating yeah. us on anything. I always, you know, like those YouTube things where they send you a, it's like a, a record. It looks like a record. No, that's uh, exactly what it looks like. Yeah, yeah it's like a plaque. Yeah, yeah. A plaque when you hit like 100,000 subscribers yeah. or something like that. Yeah, and I guess it gets bigger and more elaborate as you get yeah. more and more subscribers. I'm sure you have to pay for it. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'll I wonder. I, w- I don't know. I'll Google that later. I'll bet that it's not a bad thing from the standpoint of showing the people who are sponsoring you that you're worth whatever you're asking for, right? Yes. It's like a trophy on the wall behind you. Look at us. We're a big deal. To us. (laughs) Says so. (laughs) Hey, you know what? Um, There's been a lot of events going on. You've been at uh, Reading, at the Reading Trail Shoot, and um, there's... As we speak, wrapping up the world trials for the United States of America's world championship team that will be competing at the Weltmeisterschaft Bogensport, also known as the World Archery Championships, taking place in Berlin, Germany later this year. Very exciting. Yeah, that'll be a good one. I bet that'll be a really good event. Yes, I think so. I think it'll be a really good event. And anyway, um, so some a uh, little bit of news there. And uh, Brady Ellison making another American team. And I need to look up how many consecutive United States world teams that is. But I, I'm thinking it's, uh, it's got to be 17 or so. Something along those lines. Like years of... Of making teams. Of so, make, yeah, world championship or world yeah, cup or whatever. Yeah, yeah I, I so don't like even know when he started. Row or whatever. When did he start shooting recurve? Like, 04? In a serious way, 04. 05, yeah. really. So, yeah, so he's on coming up on twenty years of it. He is. It's a remarkable streak of performance. And uh, Casey Koffel, congratulations to her for making number one in the uh, American women's selection process. Jackson, She's pretty dominant start yeah. to finish. Yeah, yeah. Jackson, you were Jackson just mentioning Nurch, him. Jackson a young kid who my coach Dick Tone has been coaching, is uh, second. Solid Showing place. a lot of promise. Yep, that youngster and. Uh, and, a, and another American standout, Jack Williams. Jack had to, to make a run, too. He, he was he not had to in. Work hard, yeah. He was, was not, not It was in. not automatic for Jack. He was fourth and fifth, and then uh, the last two days he pulled it together. Made a count, yep. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what you got to be able to do. Yeah. So, yeah, good stuff. Um, Jennifer Musina Fernandez, um, who was in Tokyo 2020, is uh, on the American team for the women. And Catalina Noriega is, uh, is on her world team so very very cool so we're counting on these teams to earn olympic spots yeah that's the big thing that's the the big 
burden that is on their shoulders. And that's all changed, and it has. And we're not going to talk about that in this particular podcast because we don't all really the details know it because it's still. <laughs> I'm not 100 percent sure that it's completely been put out there as far as what the process is right now. No one knows. We'll check it. Well, somebody knows. Nobody. Somebody knows. But um, you know, I'm no expert, so we'll we'll figure that out and um, and reason it out together probably for the next podcast, right? Yes. Okay. In the meantime, uh, Redding, the, the big Western classic trail shoot, which is, uh, as, far, as field archery events goes, uh, it has become a world-class event and, and one that people from around the world enjoy visiting. Redding, California, home of the Redwoods, um, every year has this massive event, something on the order of 1,600 shooters, they come to Redding, California, and they shoot at these novel targets. And it is marked distance, strictly speaking, right? Correct. Now, how accurate are those marked distances? Very good. Their okay. surveyors are good. If you and had to go around the course and just shoot what they say, you would, it, you know, you'd be right from the stake to the target. Okay. They'll have it right. Line of sight. Yeah. Okay. And from the stake. You don't always have a foot position that's at the stake. Right. But, Yeah. There and uh, an orange dot of specific sizes. I believe that there's yeah. multiple sizes. The dot size is based off of NFAA field archery dot sizes. And okay. then depending on how far the targets are, you shoot at a certain size dot. So you know what you're shooting at. There's no, there's none of this nonsense of, of I pulled a line kind of stuff as much. Um, it's in the dot or it's not. And um, I, I see that look on your face. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying ideally in an ideal world. Yeah, it scored a little more clearly. Yeah. You also get to play Skybo Bingo there, but we won't get into that. <laughs> yes. But, uh, yeah, it was Bodie Turner who turned out on top. See what I did there? He, Bodie, Bodie Turner, Turner turned out on top. And his bow were turning out on top. That's right. Yeah. For the total. 1538. Yeah. 1542 points down. That's a really impressive thing when you consider that the miss that he had was at three yards yeah and that's uh he didn't know the sight mark to use yeah if you're ever wondering you can put your sight at 60 and it'll probably hit it three. exactly uh, inside of a certain amount and for most shooters of normal stature it's probably about seven yards inside seven yards it's going to invert on you and you're going to need to shoot it for like 50. yeah it goes up and down so we had a trick at the bow shop when we were helping people set their pins on their hunting bows 60 you would shoot at three 50 at four and 40 at five and that would get them on target. that's pretty good that's it's, a good that's a good way to do it yeah it's not a fine tune right at actual distance but if you sight in to hit an arrow hole at three yards yeah you'll be close yeah so if you don't know your three yard mark you can like for most people it's about 52 to 57 but you can stick it at 60 and you'll be fine i'm sure for some people it's about 63 well or so. and at a certain point you're like especially the recurve right if you're shooting a bunny target at i don't know what minimum distance is probably about 10 you're gonna you're gonna catch color. You're gonna catch it. Yeah, like in field in world field when you shoot the bunny, there's an on the unknown day it's ten to fifteen meters. Yeah, I have never set my sight at anything but thirteen meters. For people who don't know what we mean by a bunny, we don't literally mean a bunny. Yeah, for field archery, short we're target. talking about the smallest vertical three spot that is shot in field archery, and the target has a two centimeter um, six ring. Correct. So, anyway. Yeah, so good stuff. Um, Redding has a tendency to either be dry as a desert or wet and muddy. And I think this kind of was in between this year, but mostly on the wet side, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we had pretty good luck on day one, and day three wasn't too bad. Day two rained pretty good. Yeah. But it was not as bad as some years have been in the past. And um, I know that's one you always look forward to. Generally, yes. Uh, you've won it. <laughs> Yeah, one Which and a half puts times. you on a short list of yeah. distinguished accomplishments, you know? There's yeah. an awful lot of people out there that would love to win that thing. It's just a, like Vegas. It's a real test of, you know, being in tune with your bow, yeah. having your bow in tune with where it needs to be. Well, very clearly, Bodie was in tune with his bow, and he shot Easton X-10s to uh, yeah. to do what he did. How much has he taken off the back of those things? Probably, th I think, three inches is what I always tell so the, people the, to do. The, quote, real wild formula, right? Basically, we did take, four. Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember right. He did four, but he yeah. probably has done a number of different yeah. configurations. But I'll tell you, depending on the uh, size, though, once you cut three inches off, you might as well cut four inches off. It won't make much difference. Yeah, not enough to matter. So I warmed up behind Bodie on the last day, and he was aiming at he was at forty yards, aiming at a dot that you would shoot at, you know, three yards, and just smashing it in the middle. So it's pretty uh, obvious he had another level of shooting ability. At that point, you're just making sure, you know, th- truly the way Redding is, there's a few targets where you can break a good shot and have elements, literal elements, move you out. And that's the 101-yarder, the 88-yarder, maybe the 77-yard buffalo, and maybe the 73-yard moose, which sits on a ridgetop so it can move the wind either way. Yeah. Um, all of those, you can make a good shot, and wind can catch, and you can just move out. Yeah. And you don't get to, you know, sit there and figure out the wind like in 50 meters where you're just sitting in one spot all day brain dead shooting you got to be responsive and on top of it the whole time so you know it's generally a very more experienced field archers do well there and Bodie's obviously a very good field archer Mm -hmm. he uh will be (laughs) when he has the amount of experience that other people have he's gonna be like I don't know I know they're gonna have to change the game or something because he's already better than pretty much everybody that's saying a lot. And he's uh, 16? Yeah. Yeah. He's been at field archery, you know, for a few years. The biggest champion. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the sky's the limit. If, if he wants it, he can get it because he's got the mental ability yep. to do what he's got to do. And he's well-trained. And if you want to know more about his mental training. We did a podcast with his dad. We did a podcast with his dad, Joel. Joel Turner, Shot IQ. And after we did that podcast with Joel Turner, that is when Joe Rogan had him on. Yeah, yeah, we were first. We were first. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, Joe must have listened to ours. And, That's right. In no, fact, but, I have I have it on good understanding that sometimes Joe Rogan does listen to our podcast. No. That's all I'm saying. All right, moving uh, on. I mean, yeah, okay. I Oh, I know how he could. Yeah, okay. But it yeah, happens. going back to what I was saying with that, you know, the way... When you're shooting the middle out of the target as well as Bodie was, yeah. now those elements that can sneak up and grab you, you know, say you're, all right, it's a little bit right to left wind and you break one a little bit to the left, now you're out. You know, you broke it well within the dot, like X ring left, but just a little bit of wind and it pushed you a millimeter out. If you break it in the middle, it's still catching, right? It's still in now. Yep. So he's breaking everything in the middle. Extra middle. Shooting phenomenally, extra middle. Shooting phenomenally, and, you know, we had tough rain conditions. We had pretty good wind conditions, but he's he's grown up shooting field archery, and he understands it, and he's miles ahead of where most teenagers are. You know, obviously, I'm not making a proclamation there. That's pretty clear, but okay. it's fun to watch a kid like that. You know he's what? a good, humble it is. kid. It, very much so. You can tell he's well been... Um, He's, he's had proper upbringing. Yeah, he's got good parents. That's what I mean. So congratulations, Bodie. Congratulations to Bodie's family. And uh, congratulations to all of you listening who shot another 57th, I think this is, if I'm not mistaken. I could be mistaken. I don't know. Reading Western Trail Shoot. So pretty sure I'm, I'm thinking this is the 57th. We can look that up later, but uh, I'm thinking that's the case. All right. This is another, we do this about every six months. This is another segment of the show, uh, sort of an ask us anything segment. And um, so for the last few, I 48 hours or so, 24 hours, whatever it is, on Eastern Target Archery, we have uh, questions that we solicited. And we've got a number of people who have answered those questions. And we will pick... The first three questions that we pick, each one of those winner uh, people will win one dozen Easton Avance shafts in your choice of spine value. So, uh, Steve, what's the first question and therefore the first winner that you want to pick out of this? I haven't read through all of them. Do you have one? Uh, okay, I'll pick one. I've got one I kind of like, but I, I'd like oh, to read me too. others. Me too. But um, let's see. Let's try this. Um, I'm going to go with this one from Dick Rensman. 
Dick is asking. Dirk. Dirk. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> Dirk Ransman. <clears throat> Do you know? Yeah. Oh, okay. I've met him before. Okay. I believe. So Dirk's question, I think, is a, a good question, and it's a timely question. I think I shot with Dirk. Okay. Dirk is asking this. Since compound archery will most likely be introduced to the Olympic Games... This is the question I was going to use, too. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to steal your... I'll, uh, you read it, and I'll try to find another one. All right. Since compound archery will most likely be introduced to the Olympic Games, do you think it will finally be time to bid farewell to the 50-meter outdoor round? From my understanding, the only reason it was introduced a little over 10 years ago was to differentiate compound from recurve to have a stronger claim for an introduction into the Olympics. Once that's achieved, and probably not even with the 50-meter 720 round, I think it's about time to let compound archers shoot at a further distance again. Okay. So that's actually a statement more than a question, but I, I, I like the conversation that's about to ensue. Sure. He, now, there was a question in there, right? There was. Will it be time to bid farewell to the 50-meter round? Yeah. Will it? Yeah. I, I would say most of the competitive compound shooters I know would welcome being able to shoot a 70-meter round. Yeah. On, on an 80-centimeter target, for example. Or, or yeah, a 120. Or a 92 or something like that. Or something, there's, yeah, there's, there's opportunity there. Yeah, the so-called, uh, the 92 used to be the so-called Atlantic City target. Yeah. So, I or mean, 100. Didn't they talk about 100? They did. But they came up with the 92, I think, as a uh, something in between the 80 and the 122, as it ended up. I don't know why they did what they did. I don't either. Anymore. But... I, used to, I used to know, but I don't remember. Anyway, the bottom line is, Dirk, you are correct. I think that most compound shooters would, with open arms, welcome the opportunity to be able to shoot the full distance that is being shot by the recurves. Yes. And if indoor 18 meters becomes the compound round for the Olympic Games, I would argue that there is no longer a reason or justification to keep compound at 50 meters. It complicates things for the organizers. It complicates things for the field crew. It complicates things for finding a venue. If everything's going to be 70 meters, just leave it alone. 70 meters. Put yeah. up different faces. Done. I don't know a single competitive compound shooter that would not enjoy the added challenge of shooting and the interest of shooting 70 meters instead of 50. I mean, even at, even at 70 meters, your target size per meter... It's pretty darn close to what it is at 50 on an 80. And that's a 70 on a 122 versus a 50 on an 80 centimeter. Yeah, so, so actually the 50 is tougher. In theory, 70 adds more wind movement. Yes, it does. So, so it's a wash. It's more or less a wash if the weather's yeah. not favorable. Yeah. Um, they're very close in size. Yes. But 70 would just be more fun, I think. Like, that's my point. Fun. But there's, here's the issue with 70. A single face with what guys are doing now, guys and girls are doing now with groups, just be beating up, beating up arrows. You wouldn't be able to spot your arrows. It'd take longer to score arrows. They almost need to keep it at like a a quad face of some sort, or a double face, a dual face, and two people shoot a dual face and reduced rings, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know how they're gonna accommodate that, and I don't, you know. I don't know how they could accommodate that. I'm not saying they're gonna as if it's gonna happen, but no, none of this is by any means be know. something to think about doing. And well, I think that that's how these things start, though, is that kind of conversation. So, Dirk, I appreciate the question. I think that's good. Also, to Dirk's um, initial statement, since compound archery will most likely be introduced to the Olympic Games, yeah, that's our understanding right now. We'll know more before the Paris Games as to whether Compound is actually going to be brought into the Olympic Games program for Los Angeles 2028, which is the earliest opportunity as things stand right now. But we are hoping and we are expectant that there will be some progress in that area and we'll see how it goes. I think that uh, I've not, I have yet to hear anybody articulate a good reason for it not to be the case. Um, I haven't. I mean, I haven't been paying attention to that, so I I couldn't tell you. I well, that takes care math. of the other question about this subject, so we'll just leave that one alone. Your, your turn. You pick our second. And by the way, Dirk, um, we will be getting you a dozen avance arrows of your choice, 
and uh, I will be responding on the Easton Target Facebook page as to your instructions for how to get that arranged. Next question. Okay. Uh, Jamie Plummer. Okay, let me find that one. Go ahead and read it. Asks, how would you determine if your draw length needs microtuning? E example given, one-eighth of an inch or smaller or similar. I am in the right ballpark that I need to have always, but have, I, I can't read. I'm in the right ballpark that I need, but have always wondered about fine-tuning draw length as I feel I need longer, but not a half inch. Uh-huh. Okay, so Most not, people yeah. get to that point. So Jamie's talking about, for those of you who are um, from countries that have never been to the moon, um, he's talking about a four and a half millimeter difference here, or less. Yes. I mean, we use the metric system, too. Yeah, okay. Anyway. You've got one in your pocket. I do. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, there's a need to... I mean, that's why at Hoyt we did the ability to adjust an eighth of an inch. With a quarter-inch mod and an eighth-inch grip plate, you can really, really fine-tune that. But if you don't have that, like say you're working with a bow that's a half-inch module adjustment, and you need to get a quarter or thereabouts or you know a sixteenth or even less... You can get it with the cables. Yeah, sure. That's one way, but then you're kind of changing some dynamic. Um, and you got to make sure everything stays in time and all that. There's there's a cause and effect for everything you do to right. adjust that. But this is not his question. His question is, how do you, how know, do you know if you need to? Right, okay. Which oh. I like. I think that's a great question. Because, yeah, that's right. You know, I, I, if I had to answer that question, knowing what little bit I know, I would say, well... You're really going to need to experiment to see does it increase or decrease your float you know um if you make a small change one way or the other but i would expect that you'd have a much better point of view on this. what side. you'll see is yeah i've read that question apparently wrong in every way um no well i did but <laughs> anyhow uh what you'll see is if it's a little short you'll often have like a sharp aim so it'll move quickly. It'll yeah, a faster, yeah, a faster... Yeah, faster... Now, let's understand one thing, folks. Everybody floats. Yeah, everybody moves. Everybody floats. The question is, what is the shape of that float, and what is the frequency of that float? How much is it oscillating? Right. Right? So and is it vertical? High or is it frequency. horizontal? Is it high frequency? Is it is it a figure eight? I mean, there's a different amount of float and a different perturbation of that float, depending upon mm -hmm. exactly factors that include, but not exclusively... Things like right. what Jacob is asking, like or, or sorry, what Jamie is asking about here. Because you mentioned you mentioned like a side to side, right. and I wouldn't adjust draw length for that. No, I would adjust. I would potentially adjust front stabilizer weight. Yeah, or just overall or, pitch. Or maybe in my case, yeah. grip a little bit. You know, I'd be thinking yeah, about that, that just a bit. But, but yeah, different cause and effect, right? So, so how how would you determine if your draw length needs micro tuning? So if I saw that sharp high frequency aim as you put it high frequency is a good way to put it um i'd probably go a little bit longer i'd make it a little bit longer and so, that'll dampen it out right i'd either do that by using the bow or usually like three twists out of the string will get you a peep sight that lines back up where it was depends on your twist ratio on your string but yeah. usually about three or four will get you there or three and a half um Second would be a bow that aims slowly, but wants to have a little up and down or falling out as I'm, as I'm aiming, it wants to fall out the bottom. And there's a difference between that, which would be a little bit long of a draw length, and having target panic or an anticipation problem, which is a different type of low hold. And can cam timing also impact that to a degree? Uh, it could. I mean, it depends on the cam system and how you're pulling into it and all that, but... Usually, this is one of many variables, I think, is what yeah. we're getting at. There, there's so many things. So sometimes your your solution to the problem needs to come through a few different experiments. You know, I'm going to try this. Okay, that didn't work. I'm going to return to where I was. I'm going to try that. That didn't work. Return to where it was. Try this. Okay, that was it. That's what we hit on. So, but that slow, loopy aim, you know, might necessitate going a little shorter. Sometimes we talk about in field archery, like say you're aiming really well up a hill. Maybe your your draw length needs to be a little longer um, on the flat, right? 
or say you're aiming really well downhill, in theory, you might want to shorten your draw length a little bit. I've never found that downhill to be the case, but I have found sometimes where I am aiming really well uphills and I lengthen it out and I get a little better on the flat. The downhill one I think is just different because of how the bow sits in your hand. So I don't use that as a beacon of adjustment, but some of those things, you know, can factor into knowing when you need to make that little adjustment. And again, you really need to have an understanding of what your aim can or does look like, what it looks like when you change it, and shoot any changes long enough to get through a honeymoon stage. George and I were talking about this earlier. Sometimes yeah. people will make a change, they instantly feel it different, and they're like, oh, that was good. And then they, you know, 30 arrows later are doing the exact same thing they were before, but they told themselves it was good. They've convinced themselves that this change is worthwhile. So you kind of got to understand it on both ends and know when, you know, something sticks or when it's just a honeymoon phase. All right. I think that's an excellent question. Thank you, Jamie, for asking that. Um, you want to pick the next one or the last one uh, for the winners? And then we're going to go through a couple more, of course. But uh, I had a good one here. It's from Letter Fly. Okay. Can you talk about practice routine? yada 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 and how do you get past a devastating performance or error that costs you a tournament okay and talk <laughs> about practice routine volume of arrows aiming skills blank bail etc etc how to get past a devastating performance error that costs you a tournament you didn't read the last part love your sarcasm <laughs> big cat yeah it wasn't part of the question so. well but it's a statement all right um practice routine yeah, it's different for everybody because yes. who are you and what are you trying it's to do? It's also different depending on what you're, where you are in your training curriculum or continuity. Skill level or something like that. Well, let's say that you're already an accomplished shooter. Let's say you're the Weltmeisterschaft. Feldbogen. Fel yeah, exactly. The world field <laughs> champion as as I'm speaking to Steve Anderson here. Former. Okay. No, there's not. You're... I former. still don't always will be. You will always... It's, yeah. not, it's like there's no such thing as a former Marine. Once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. Yeah, you can't take it away from me. Yeah, nobody... Unless you unless you pulled a, uh, you know, a... a, a there's going to be an edit here. <laughs> Lance Armstrong. Oh, yeah, you fail your drug test yeah. like 20 years later? Yeah. No, that's not going to happen. They're not going to take it away from you. I don't even take... Take Will. Exactly. Know? So the point Tylenol. is, you're not a former... You are past world field champion. Yes. Okay, anyway. Weltmeisterschaft Bogen Sport. Feldbogen. Feldbogen Sport. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go home and listen to uh, Rammstein again. All right, anyway, the point is that we have um, a different need for different practice routines depending upon what we are doing and what we want to do. Yes. But the first thing to consider is what are your goals, right? No matter what, what are my goals? If, if my goal is to be proficient for a Wednesday night league, that's a different practice routine than what I need if I want to make the Olympic Games team for my country. Whole level of commitment. Whole level of commitment. Different, yeah. Yeah, and it's, um, yeah, as you say, with putting a goal together, a lot of people are missing that, and then they're just out doing it I guess they're hoping to get better maybe they don't have a measurable way of getting better or something they're looking to achieve either so right I think you got to find like all right if I want to I want to shoot a 300 at Vegas this year one 300 at Vegas and I want my worst game to be at 298 like there's a good goal that you can you've set a floor I don't want to I want to be better than this no matter how bad I am right because part of getting better at archery is your floor rises mm-hmm so you, you can only be so bad. Your comfort theory. zone increases yeah. too. Yes. So not only does your ceiling go up, but so does your floor. Right. Um, and that is a big part of like having a good archery career. You know, on your best, on your worst days, you're still pretty good. Yeah. That's a, like Mike Schlosser has the highest floor of anybody at 50 meters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On a bad day, he shoots 712. Yeah. And feels bad about it. Yes. <laughs> so... There's there's part of that, but let's say that's your goal, 298 minimum at Vegas and shoot one 300, right? So 
how would you approach that? I mean, <clears throat> one, you, a lot of the approach to, you know, like a score driven goal is finding self-belief that that's who you are. Like I am a 300 shooter. Correct. So you've got self-affirmation. Sh- yeah. You can't just go into the, into the range and fling a bunch of arrows, but like, oh, I shot 80 arrows today. That's a lot of arrows or whatever. Um, that's probably weightlifting. better. Like, yeah. All right, that's well, just weightlifting. Yeah. So you got to have a, you got to have affirmed to yourself that you can achieve the performance over and over, right? Like I shoot 300s all the time. Right. That's, that's what you need to get to your point. Um, so you got to score arrows. You got to shoot competitive games. And you need to shoot 300s for real. No cheating. Yeah. Yeah. And you do know? it. If you want to do it at Vegas, you better be able to do it at Wednesday night. On late, demand. Yeah. Right. So. Um, for, so for me, practice routine, I don't focus on like a volume of arrow. I don't typically do an aiming drill. I typically don't do a whole lot of blank bailing, right? I go and I try to be competitive with myself and with those around me and shoot enough volume of arrows that I don't have to worry about that. And I hope to never fall into an issue where I need to work aiming drills. What I am doing is paying attention to what I'm seeing and making some of those adjustments if needed or finding out what works better, right? Mm -hmm. While I'm competing and scoring so that I can have a measurable record of whether it was truly better or a lot of the same or worse. Now I'll say we've just scratched the surface here because what we don't know is did letterfly refer to compound or recurve because there's some differences there but the fundamentals of what you just heard from Steve apply regardless you need a plan you need to have some goals you need short-term goals intermediate goals long-term goals if your long-term goal is to win Vegas or to win the Olympic Games you have to build it on a foundation of short-term goals which is um, I'm not going to drink a fifth of whiskey every other night and I'm going to get some exercise. <laughs> and you need, to, you need to have an intermediate goal. I'm going to shoot 300s regularly at my Wednesday night league. You know? And of course, how you get there is through other goals that you have to set in between. Yeah. To get to that long-term goal, right? You can't just throw the long-term goal at the wall and go, I'm going to do this and not have a plan to get there. you got to make a plan. Right. I like to have an intentive practice program. When, when I'm practicing for whatever I'm doing, I prefer just to at least reason out, okay, here's what I'm going to do. When I get to the range, I'm going to do this in this order. I'm going to start measuring these things. Once I, you know, warmed up, I'm going to commit to shooting this amount. And then after that, I'll figure it out from there. Yeah. But I like to have a plan. I don't want to just jump in the car Go to the range. I'm going to go to the range and shoot a little bit and talk to people who walk in and shoot some more and then leave. Yeah, that's not necessarily productive. So, you know, I would say to put together like a real routine, um, if I was going to do it this year, let's say I want to, I guess, I want to make the Vegas shoot off. Okay, that's a goal. Good goal. Um, I'm going to try to shoot five days a week. So if I shoot a tournament, I'm probably taking Monday off and then I'll probably take Friday off. And then I'll, you know, if I have a tournament on Saturday, I'm not going to take Friday off. Um, and I might end up doing six days a week. I might do seven. That's fine, too. Depending on the timing before the event. Right. So, so an event will dictate that, and where I feel I'm at will dictate that. I don't freak out if I have a tournament Saturday and I don't practice Friday. A lot of people do. They put themselves in a bad mental state with that, too. Sometimes you need that time off. Or it's just life happens and things are in the way. But yeah. if you feel like, oh, I didn't practice, I have to practice. Well, now you're screwed. You've already set yourself behind, like... Just be okay with it and go high. And that's you talking yeah. yourself into a problem. It has nothing yeah. to do with whether you can actually shoot the next day. Yeah, because you can, you know, take a day off and come back and shoot a really good score. Everyone yeah. has done that, so yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. Anyhow, so I'm going to commit to, you know, I'm going to try to shoot five days a week. And when I do that, I'm going to shoot at least two, ideally, three Vegas games every night. Um, and then if I'm really grinding at it, you know, I might bang away another 30 arrows or so where I'm trying stuff. And, you know, so I'm in the neighborhood of 72-ish to 120 arrows. And then I may shoot a shoot-off with Linda or something in the basement, you know, and do, do it that way and just have practice with that. It's good to have a competitive finish, I think, to your practice. So a lot of times we'll practice with either like simulate a Vegas shoot-off, so it's sudden death, or 
a, a bunch of one arrow shoot offs. That's what usually ends up happening. And I've done that with a lot of people. All right, finishing up one arrow shoot off. You end up shooting, you know, 18 arrows one at a time. <laughs> but there, what you learn there is I focused on making a really good shot at each and every time. Like, why don't, is that a possible thing to do each and every arrow instead of just getting in a rhythm and banging out arrows? Mm-hmm. And another part of that, so that's my, all right, that's the volume I want to put down on how I'm going to do it. And there's going to be a scored element of it and it's going to be competitive. Um, the next part of that is I'm going to try to get a tempo to it. So one mistake I made when I got my own range in my basement was I was banging through practice fast. Way faster than you do Too in tournaments. Yep. yep. So I could go and I'd shoot a Vegas game in 24 minutes, and that's not how a tournament pace works. You're about an hour and 30 minutes, right? So I was shooting too fast, and then I also created an issue with myself where I started shortcutting through uh, shot process steps. So I've said this before. Let's pretend you have 10 steps to your shot process, and everyone's different. Everyone should have something written down or, you know, they can refer to. But let's say you have 10 steps and, you know, it's one is set your feet, two is set your grip, three is draw your bow. Um, you know, say, say four is anchor, five is come down to target and blah, blah, blah. Anyhow, you eventually get to a point where you go one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, because you're trying to hurry along. So you're hurrying the whole like execute stage. That's usually what people, they're hoping, they're visualizing, right? They're seeing the target, how they want to see it. And they're skipping the execute because they feel like it should have happened. So I got to a stage where I was, you know, once I'd see the visual sight picture I wanted, I expected the bow to fire because that's how it does it when you're like really grooved in, shooting good. At a tournament pace. Yeah, but there's still a timing involved in that. There's a shot timing involved. And if you've skipped those things that you yep. just described, then you don't get that timing. Right, so then you have an anticipation issue. So now you've created a new problem, and then that turns into an aiming problem, and that turns into an execution problem. So what you got to do is try to maintain <clears throat> real pace and not hurry through your practice. I think that's one of the worst things you can do to create problems. So, oh, yeah. You know, I think shoot quality really arrows. Yeah. And I see... I see this on the recurve side. They just shoot arrows. Yeah. A lot of them. A yeah. lot of these kids these days want to tell you their arrow count. I'm like, well, were they quality? Because, you know. But standing at three yards and shooting blank bail at an accelerated pace that has no connection to what you're actually doing in competition is weightlifting. It's not, yeah. it's not shooting quality shots. And there's a component of that that's important for recurve. Just I'm not sure how important but I believe, I've always told students of mine that they should have an aim point for each and every one of those shots. Even if it's just pick a pick a, a particle that's on the butt of the target. Yeah, and focus on and that. And focus on that so that when you execute the shot, you have the wiring engaged yeah. for that aspect that. of it. Because if you disconnect the aim, what happens is your shot timing when you're blank bailing is one, two, three, four, boom. And then when you aim and it's not going well, then your shot timing goes long and your execution goes to garbage. And, and you get a really bad feedback loop. Yeah. So then everything That's starts working against each other. Yep. yep. 100%. Exactly. And it relates to what you brought up earlier. It both comes down to execution problems. Yeah. You know, yours is from a, okay, I have the conditions established that the shot should be breaking now. With the recurve, I have the conditions established that now I can a clicker finish should the click. Yeah. Either way... If you skip those steps, you are shortchanging yourself. Yeah. So intentive, intentive practice, I think, yeah. is really important. And I think I've said something similar to this before, but I think there's a a method to taking the line for a shot where you have to kind of flip a switch. And I've seen some of the best archers in the world do this. Josh Schaff, Chris's brother, was one of them. And I think Josh is probably one of probably the most talented shooter I've ever watched. More talented than Chris. Um, this is me nodding, yes. Yeah, but Chris had... Uh, Chris is a hard worker, but Chris Josh a, was talented. Josh was very talented. Chris is mentally better, and that got him further. 
Um, but Josh could just pick up a bow after two years and shoot a 30 axe. It was pretty, you know, legendary stuff that yeah. people would tell about him. No, well, yeah. but I, I watched him my first ever indoor tournament and he was, he had the ability to be over here having a conversation, flip the switch, take the line. And now it was nothing but going through a shot process the way it should be done. Yeah. And that's what you kind of got. And then he'd step off the line and go back to whatever joke he was telling. You know who else is like that? There's a lot of guys. A lot of guys. But Jay Bars was like the, the, you know, he's very much the prototype for that kind of behavior. But what didn't change was they didn't go shortcut a shot process. They didn't shortcut their shot timing. No. Right? So you got to get on the line and work slowly, you know, or smoothly, I'll say. Not slow. I don't think you should be slow or deliberate. Smoothly is a good way. You should be smooth through every process you take and go through them to the fullest, right? And then you're through it. You make good shots and that's it. That's who you are. Look look at Mike Schlusser. How consistent he is now. Okay, you put him under extreme pressure, like in a very final era of a final major event. Sometimes you see some interesting stuff in the past. And that's a wild card, but that's the. But getting of the him game. there, as he gets there, yeah. look how consistent he is. For, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it. You can you can almost overlay if you took video and overlaid him shooting and shooting and shooting. It, there wouldn't be a whole lot of change between shots. I no. Mean, you know, from shot to shot to shot. And I bet when Mike goes and practices, it's the exact same. Yeah. I doubt there's a... No, you're right. I don't think he has a... He's not in a different mode. I think he's got a simplified shot process, right? And you shouldn't be too complex. Right. And I think he just goes through it and does his thing. Yep, consistently. Bodhi, too. Yeah, Bodhi's got, you know, whatever him and his dad have worked through, and he sticks to that and does it. Okay. Anyway, excellent questions. Um, We only have three dozen arrows to give away, so that is the last of the... You missed the last part. How would you get past a devastating performance? Or uh, well, I was about to um, <laughs> I was about to go back to that. I believe that um, you just got to let that stuff go. I mean, you can't dwell on it. Yeah, it doesn't. What's really in matter. the past is in the past. It's like, how do you get past shooting one bad arrow? Well, the best way is shoot a good one on the next shot. It's um, it's like the movie Hoosiers, where you know he hasn't measured the the hoop height and the the floor dimensions and all that. Like, if you make a bad shot, they don't make the next one harder. Just the same as, like, another thing I see a lot is people who are shooting really good tense up, right? They're like, oh, I'm shooting really good. And it's like... The, well, it's you know what's happening is their, their comfort zone is getting intruded yeah, upon. It's the 30x... It's the 30th arrow for a 30x game at Vegas. They're guys bumping their up. ceiling. They're bumping their ceiling. Yeah. Right? But guys will blow up there. And it's yeah. like... The X ring didn't get smaller or harder to hit. Just nope. use your expectation. You allowed an outside expectation to get there. Yeah, and I've done it. I shot a twenty nine, missed my second to last, but okay. I shot a thirty at Vegas too. And, and by the way, that's not criticism. That's just an observation it's of an observation. human nature. That happened. It crept in. How do you proof yourself against that kind of thing? Is to to a degree make it very normal to shoot thirty X. Yeah, like and the Wednesday night league. Another part of the you know he says a devastating performance or error like. Is there such a thing? This is archery. Yeah, no one nobody's, cares Nobody's heads much. are getting lopped off. The other side of it is some a joke I make all the time is like, no matter how bad I shoot, they'll let me pay my money and come back next year. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, this and isn't... no matter how bad, if I went and shot, you know, World Field Championships next year and sucked, I'm still 2016 World Field Champion. <laughs> right. This isn't, I didn't have to win it again. This isn't um, Mesoamerican football where, you know, the, one of the teams gets executed <laughs> after the game. I mean, you know. You know, there's an idea for making archery more interesting. Well, it would certainly make it more pressurized. Uh, but there are lots of other good questions here, and we're going to save some of them for future shows, but I'm going to knock out a couple more here. Um, one of them I think um, uh, I'd like to answer right away, and that is uh, probably one that some folks are worried about. That is Sarah, our friend Sarah Toth. Uh, her son accidentally dry-fired his recurve bow. Um, just a genuine oops, she says. Is there a way to know for sure whether the limbs are still safe to use? She's heard of the cotton ball test, where you take a cotton ball and see if it catches on anything to see if there's any cracking or anything like that. No cracks discovered. Limbs he's using are her older model, but gently used 1999 Hoyt Syntactic Foam limbs. Um, they should be just fine, honestly. One dry-fire. I'm not going to tell you um, that you know, every bow will survive a dry fire, but uh, Hoyt recurve from 1999 <laughs> has a very high likelihood of having zero issues from going dry fire. Uh, 
go watch the uh if you were to go back to the lab and see what they do to those yeah. things we show it in the axia video yeah they're just blasting those yeah things. well back in 99 it was even worse yeah um you know i i will tell you that um the level of testing that these things go through should be fine for one dry fire or more but i don't recommend it <laughs> however um i wouldn't worry about it let's see here um Favorite meal. This is from our good friend Roberto Hernandez, who's going to be coming up here to Salt Lake City to train pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, I think Sunday. Uh, favorite meal for Steve <laughs> Steve Anderson: tacos or pupusas? So pupusas are uh, for those who don't know, it's a Salvadorian. Yeah, food. Roberto is from El Salvador. Yeah, Roberto's from El Salvador. So, and of course, Steve's wife is from Mexico. Yeah, so he's pitting me against her. So I'm going to go with tacos. So there's no winning. There's no winning. I'm going. Uh, there's you know, I don't share a bedroom with or a bathroom with uh, Roberto, so I'm going so, with tacos. That's so Linda wins. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. Fair enough. The answer is tacos. I've never had a pupusa. They're super good. Yeah. Is it like a empanada kind of thing, or they would be offended if you put it that way? Well, I know, but I just yeah. I have my only. I don't have much of a point of reference. Imagine it kind of is. I call it the Salvadorian empanada, or it's kind of like a sope. But okay. all contained. Okay. So, you know, I don't think... How do I put this? It's really good. The average Japanese person I know would not be horribly offended if someone were to refer to okonomiyaki as Japanese pizza. Even though they've got nothing to do with each other. Huh. Except for being flat discs of food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I don't think they'll be offended, but they'll be like, well, it's not a empanada, yeah. you know. Yeah. You got to know. Okay, fair yeah. enough. All right, pick one. Oh, we. Uh, I'm going to combine one here. Yeah, if, go if ahead. That's okay with you. I got one from Russ Sharman. Russ Sharman, Nampa Bow Chiefs, okay. my home club. He thinks that field archery is the absolute best measure of an archery skill when compared to other competitive events such as 3D and target. What's your thoughts? Yes. Yes. You're correct, sir. You got it. No argument there. You're absolutely correct, and the. Um, associated question with that, and I, I know I remember the question, but I got to give credit to the person who asked. Got to find it here. Help me out, Steve. Do you see it? No. I saw it earlier. It should still be here, unless that person went in and edited it out, which I doubt. They oh, here we are. Ryan Reed. Oh yeah, Ryan Reed. If you could pick your ideal force and to shoot a field round with, which to the earlier point is the most worthy of archery rounds. Um. Let's assume every person shoots at your level. So it could be anybody. It could be past presidents, Formula One drivers, motocross stars. It could be anybody. All right, so I'm picking... Who would be your ideal foursome for a field round? So picking myself pick and three others. Yep, then. yourself and three others. Who would you pick? Ah, uh, man. Do you want to think tough. about that? Do you have an answer? I have partial answer, but my problem is I have about 50 people that I... Yeah, there's a lot of ways this could go. I put Richard Feynman on that list. The physicist Richard Feynman. Oh, yes, Richard Feynman. Yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. I would probably put Teddy Roosevelt on that list. Yeah. The American president, Teddy Roosevelt. I'd put him on that list. Sure. I think it would be very interesting to have, um, by that same measure, I'd love to have Teddy Roosevelt on that list at the same time as Barack Obama. I thought you were going to say Legolas from Lord of the Rings. Barack Obama. At the same time as Teddy Roosevelt. So just Richard to, Feynman, just to get uh, stuff going there. Richard Feynman, Barack Obama, and Teddy Roosevelt. Think of the conversations. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's be more practical and reasonable here. Zach Kurtzals, President of Hoyt, he had the best answer earlier today. Yeah, he said. Uh, Dave Cousins. Dave Jesse. Jesse and Terry, Terry Ragsdale. Ragsdale. Because if you want to learn something, you're going to shoot with any one of those three. Imagine getting all three together: Dave Cousins, Terry Ragsdale. And Jesse Broadwater among the, and, and then have the Weltmeisterschaft Bogensport Field Bogen. With Steve those Anderson. guys, yeah. I, I'm telling you. That's, with those guys, it'd be fun to shoot like a classic field course with them where they've shot the, it many times. Or an old, old NFAA round. Yeah. Like I've shot with, you know, Jesse and Dave and yeah. quite a lot. Yeah. And um, we'll get to certain targets at, like we were at Darrington once, and we were shooting world field trials. So it was an unknown round, but it's across Darrington's ranges, which Dave has shot many times. And we got to a target unknown, and he looked up at the target, 
And he looked back behind him, and he knew exactly how far it was. Sure, right? of course. Like, and then he got to another one, and he knew he knew for some reason, you know, you're going to hit right here. Yeah. Everyone hits right on this target. Yeah. So he got to it and made, <laughs> just moved his sight. Just think about the experience you need to be able to get you know, there, though, right? Yeah, he, he's been there enough, shot a lot. I'll so tell you a lot what, of that. You know what would be good is if, if we mic'd up the four people that we just mentioned, yourself, Terry Ragsdale, and, um, and Dave, and Jesse, mic'd them all up, mic'd you all up, followed you around a course with one of those 360 cameras and a couple of other POV cameras and, you know, just, just got a nice production together. That would be like a tremendously popular video for about 2,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> if we talked about like here's what we're going to do on now, the target now if we talked about yeah. stuff that would have a wide audience yeah and everyone I think would learn something there 100% every even like all of us I think yeah. we could all learn from each other on how well, we look at because stuff you always do that's the other thing to the, to the point of your friend from, from Idaho the one reason one reason why field archery is so great is Tell me, Steve, have you ever shot a field course and not learned at least something? I Overcome some new challenge or learn something new that you didn't know before yeah, you, you always, started? Yeah, you always pick up some, there's a discovery on here's what I'm going to prep for. Yeah, or there's always something is yeah. my point. I think I would like this better. And that's why I think that field archery is really for the thinking archer. It 100%. Really like you can go set up a bow in 10 minutes and shoot a 50 meter or indoor round and be pretty competitive but yep. field archery pretty you gotta have your stuff pretty well dialed and you really gotta understand it especially if they take the rangefinder out of your hand last question comes from clint moore does pineapple belong <laughs> on pizza yeah i like it it's an abomination it's an affront it's a war crime it is an absolute horrendous thing <laughs> to put any kind of fruit with the exception of olives potentially and even that I would sort of question on pizza I like how you lumped olives in as a fruit which they technically are right Where's your, what's your stance on tomatoes well, tomatoes are technically a fruit right yeah so the whole thing but that's the fruit. basis of pizza unless you're in Scranton Pennsylvania no sauce there they have what they call white pizza. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the white pizza is good. Um, yeah, I'm totally down with but no pineapple. pineapple. I'm no, fine with it. No, no pineapple. Here's what I say. No mango. Pizza is good. You know, there's a famous saying about pizza, even when it's bad, it's good. Um, comparing it to something else. But, you know, I give you the freedom to put whatever you want on yours. And I'll take whatever I want on mine because the pizza no matter how big it is, can be a personal pan pizza if you try hard enough. <laughs>